Hey, good morning, friends. Uh, kids and also students as well. You guys have, uh, have class today. If you want to head that way, you're welcome to. Uh, big thank you to, uh, to our kids singing this morning and also uh, to, uh, to Angelina and to Alex Lee who are recording that whole thing. So Alex has been all, all over this, which has been great. And um, yeah, and thank you to Global Team just for leading us so well through all of the, uh, the ins and outs of Advent season. It's really exciting everything that God is doing there. Uh, hey, so um, switching gears a little bit here uh, as we, we move towards a, a text for this morning. So uh, some of you know this, but I, I love puzzles. I, I always have for years and years. I haven't been doing this now, but I used to like, like one of the first things I do in the morning is I do the LA Times crossword puzzle, right? And just try to get the juices going in the morning. Now the, the current thing is Wordle, right? Anybody else a, a Wordle person? I can't stop. It's, uh, it's so disappointing, you can only do one Wordle a day, and um, I think I'm, I'm also probably officially the last person in the world who's still on Words with Friends, but I am. I am. So every night as I'm, I'm winding down towards bed, I've got to do some Words with Friends. So, love the puzzles. Uh, we're looking at a text in Isaiah today, and uh, a lot of the time when the Old Testament talks about the Messiah and what it would be like when the Messiah comes, it it comes sort of in, these, in the form of puzzles. The New Testament calls them mysteries and says that these mysteries that the prophets carried for so long have now been unlocked in Christ and they now make sense in him. And uh, this week, the one that we're looking at is it's kind of a big one, kind of one of those puzzles that, uh, that these figures in the Old Testament and even the prophets themselves carried along with them wondering what does it look like as this actually gets fulfilled? And the early Christians, and we see this in the New Testament, the early Christians were adamant that these puzzles, these mysteries, had been explained in the person of Jesus. So throughout Advent, we've been looking at Isaiah chapter 9 and these four names that were given to the Messiah by Isaiah some 700 years before Jesus was born. And here's the verse. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Uh, now, last week we talked about that title, that name, Mighty God, and this week we're talking about Everlasting Father. And both of these are or were a bit perplexing for them because they seem to be identifying the Son. Right? To us, a child is born. This is a son that is going to be born. Identifying the son who would be king, who would be the Messiah, identifying him with God himself. Right? So, mighty God. Right? Now, throughout the Old Testament, this designation is only given to God himself, only given to the Almighty. So, what does it mean that this designation is also given to this son? also given to this future king that was going to come and restore Israel to what it should be and restore the world to what it should be. And frankly, they didn't have a category for this. It just remained a puzzle for a long time. But there's sort of this, this divine hint there that mysteriously, somehow, there is something divine about this son. And then this, this next name that we're looking at today, Everlasting Father. Uh, now, in the Old Testament, Father is a title that could be applied to a king, 
That was sort of legal, right? Sort of this, this father, the shepherd figure that would watch over a nation and protect it and care for it and hopefully in some sense nurture it. Uh, so, so that part's kind of expected. But everlasting king or uh, an everlasting king, an everlasting father, this, is, this makes it a little bit perplexing, right? What king is everlasting? Eventually, they all die. But not this one. This Messiah that would come is somehow not just Father, but everlasting. Again, there's something divine about the Son. Now, hold that and fast forward to the words of Jesus. This is John chapter 14. You're going to drop in in the middle of a conversation that he is having with his disciples. And Jesus says this. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, pause for just a second. One of the themes well established in the Old Testament is that no one can see God and live. And here Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Now, Philip throws in a question. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough. Us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Now, this is a great verse. Here, Jesus talks about himself as distinct from the Father, right? He says that he is the way to the Father, but he also identifies himself so closely with the Father, they can say, and he reiterates it twice, that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. We might look at Jesus and say, there is something divine about this sign. There is more going on here. And friends, why is this important for us? Why is it important that the Son, this Messiah, not just be a man, but also be divine. And with that, why would he be identified as everlasting Father? Right? You have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we learn in the New Testament. But why would he be identified as everlasting Father? Uh, now each of these names, each of these names in Isaiah, th there is something important that they are telling us about God, something important enough that they would be recorded for us across the pages of history that the Spirit might bring our minds to those even today, even now, and learn something about who God is. And this morning, we're, we're going to look at four aspects of this, four aspects of what it means that God is our everlasting Father and what that tells us about his love for us and about who we are. Uh, so let's pray together, and we'll look at our text. Uh, Father, we pray as we come this morning to worship you, as we come just to, to seek you out, to learn more about who you are. We pray, God, that you would meet us in that. And God, for each of us, no matter where we are at with you, uh, those who are exploring for the first time, those who have been exploring for years and years, we pray, God, that you would meet us, that you would be moving us closer to you and making us more and more in the likeness of your Son. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears,
as we receive this text this morning. Would you speak to our hearts and do your work in us? We thank you for this. We trust you for this. In Christ's name, amen. So what does it mean, friends, that this divine king, this divine son, is also our everlasting father? Uh, well, all right, four aspects of this, this father love. First, it tells us this, that God's love is a protective love. When we say God is an everlasting father, that Jesus identifies himself as this, one aspect of this is that it is a protective love. God is a father who defends, who protects. That shepherd image in the Old Testament and New Testament is kind of front and center for us here. Psalm 23, the shepherd with his rod and staff that I have comfort because of, because I know God protects me. This is the one, one of the most prominent attributes of God in the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms. And here's, here's a taste. It says, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. That's from Psalm 91. Here's another. This is Psalm 5. It says, But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. God is portrayed throughout the scriptures as our protector. Right? And we're told in the scriptures that, that we need this. This is a world that is filled with suffering and with pain. It's a world that's fallen, a world that has been broken. And, and we will experience pain. Jesus tells us that. We aren't exempt from that. But we do so with a God who portrays himself as Father and a Father who is protective of us as, at that. Uh, my dad, uh, many of you have, have met him. He and my mom have been able to visit from time to time through the years. But um, uh, my dad is totally a, a protector dad. Right? He's, he's a carpenter. He's, he's just kind of big. Right? He's strong as an ox. Always has been. He still is, even in his 70s. And just never seemed afraid of anything. He was this larger-than-life character as I grew up. And, you know, if, if there's something going bump in the night, my dad is the one who goes and takes care of it. He was this protector dad. And there was something about that that made me feel really safe. There's an element of security in that, that there was, there was this protective element in my dad's love, and, and intuitively I knew I, I needed that. The world was big and I was small, and I needed that sort of love. And that's what the scriptures are saying about God as our Father. And, and friends, this is important. It's not just that God is strong. It's that his strength is used for our protection. Because we all know and probably have all experienced in one form or another, and, and maybe even in, in your own home at one point, but strength can be used for tyranny as well as for protection. Strength is only an attribute that we value and we desire to see in someone if that is strength used on behalf of others. And God's strength is a protective strength that is used on behalf of those that he loves. <clears throat> uh, apparently, some of, some of this, uh, this characteristic of my dad is rubbed off on me as well. Uh, it turns out I'm a pretty protective father, uh, maybe sometimes to a fault, 
Um, we had a, a thing, I'm just trying to remember exactly when it was, but, but we, were, we were going to meet a boy for the first time. And I, I'm not totally sure, but I, I, I think it was like last summer when we, we first were going to meet Lane, who is now my daughter's boyfriend. And uh, so we were going to meet this dude, and um, uh, who turns out is terrific, by the way. We highly approve of him. Abby's not here this morning. She's out with his family this weekend. Uh, but uh, we're going to meet him. And Samantha says to me, hey, can you do me a favor? I was like, sure. She says, can, can you not get all puffy when we meet the boy? So what do you mean, puffy? She says, you know, whenever we meet a boy, some friend of the girls, you, you get all puffy. You, like stand up tall and you get all large and your chest gets bigger and your shoulders. And I'm like, that doesn't happen. I don't do that. And all three of the girls at once are like, yeah, dad, you do that. You do, and Hannah's like, even when I was in elementary school and boys would come around, you get all puffy. And I was like, no, no, this, this can't be the case. But apparently this is a thing. And turns out my voice gets a little deeper, the handshake gets a little firmer, all these things. Not even aware. But it, it seems there's, there's a very protective element of my love. And it comes out when I'm, I'm with my girls or when there's boys around my girls or something like that. But, uh, friends, we need this. We need a God who has a protective love for us. Because that's the world that we're in. And, and in Jesus, we have a God revealed to us who is not only strong, but who is strong on behalf of those that he loves. That's, that's one. Uh, the second thing that we want to point out is this, that God's love is a tender love. His love is a tender love. And a little later in the book of Isaiah, we read this. Isaiah 40, it says, Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. Uh, now, you see this? I love this image because it incorporates both of these first two. You see here God's protective nature. You see his strength, the the sovereign Lord who comes in power. But also there's this fatherly, shepherd-like quality to God that's very affectionate. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. Right? There's, there's a tenderness here that's portrayed in who God is and what it means that God uh, portrays himself as Father. Right? And just this, this picture of, of the lamb, right? The strong arms and the little lamb. And it reminds us, of course, of every painting of Jesus ever, right? Always it's Jesus holding a lamb, petting the lamb, and, you know, he's got like long flowing Fabian locks and he looks Swedish. That's another story. But he's always got the lamb. It's this picture of his tenderness that we really, really value. And we're drawn to this. We're drawn to this love that is tender and affectionate. And Isaiah captures it, and we try to capture it in our paintings and our music because we know that we need this too. Right? Strength without tenderness can be frightening. It can be dangerous. But strength combined with tenderness, well, that's, that's that picture 
of a father's love that not only protects, but that brings comfort as well. Uh, For me, I think one of the most endearing pictures of God's tender love is the parable of the prodigal son. Do you know this? Luke 15. Uh, If you don't know the story, uh, you've got this son who shamefully disrespects his father, and he takes his share of the inheritance, half of the family estate, and he wastes it on partying, on women, and all this, and then he returns, and the father welcomes him. Uh, But the part of it that gets me every time, the, the part that I love in this the most, is not just that the father accepts him back, but that the father was watching for him, waiting, hoping that the son of his would return. This is Luke 15, 20. It says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Right? He's, he's watching. This is a, a father whose eyes are on the horizon, hoping for the day when his son comes back home. Filled with affection and tenderness for a child, even one who has insulted him deeply and caused him a lot of public shame. Right? The son is not just his offspring. This is, this is the beloved son. Friends, the Father's love is not just protective. It is a love that is tender. And I'd ask you this morning, is is that a picture of God that you can accept? That God's love for you is a love that is affectionate. That there is a longing in the heart of God to be near you. That he longs for that. He looks for you. He takes joy in you. That you are his beloved. The God that we serve is a God who is tender. And there's a third here as well. Uh, We would add this to this picture of of God as everlasting Father. That God's love is a stretching love. It's a stretching love. And by that I mean that, that there's something in the love of God that is always pushing us forward. There's always willingness to be better, to grow into what it is that he sees that we could be. God as Father does not just coddle us. He teaches and stretches and disciplines us for our good. Not because he's mean, but because he loves us. And he wants to see us be all that we can be. And, And frankly, without this aspect of God's love, we'd be terribly ruined. Proverbs 3.11 is representative of this. It says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son, delights in. Uh, It's a great picture. God is protective and God is tender, but he doesn't coddle us. And you, you see here in this verse how this goes right along with God's tenderness. The Lord disciplines those that he loves. Not those that he's angry at, not those that bring him disgust. He he disciplines those that he loves as a father, the son that he delights in. It's a fabulous picture. It can be easy for us to resent God's hand when it feels heavier upon us. But we have to know that too is an expression 
of his love. Uh, as a father, uh, I know I'm protective, uh, and all you know that now too, but um, it's, it's very natural to me, sometimes to my girl's chagrin. Uh, and I, I'd like to think that I'm a pretty tender father as well, uh, but where, where I really had to stretch is in being a stretching father, uh, in, in pushing, sometimes to the point of discomfort. Uh, here's, here's a story. So when Abby was first learning to walk, um, and I mean like first, first learning, uh, very, very new to this, uh, we're at a church event, we're at a park or someplace, and she's, she's toddling along, sometimes on the grass, too often for my taste on the sidewalk or the asphalt as well, but you know, she's, She's toddling along and she's top heavy. Her head is still disproportional to her body, so that's throwing things off a little bit. She's all bow legged and just wobbling all over the place, you know, looking like a drunk who just got off of a horse and was about to just face plant at any moment. And so you've got this happening, and then you've got me. And I'm walking all bow legged too because she's right here, right? I have got her just right under me at all times. And I'm like staggering around after with my hands out, you know, just looking every bit, the helicopter parent that I am, just making sure that, that she doesn't fall, that if, if she's going to stumble, that this little body will not hit the ground. And I can even remember, this is some years back, but I actually remember thinking to myself, you know, if I could just invent some kind of a suit, like a walking suit for toddling kids as they are first toddling so that you know, the falls would not be that bad and all this. And so this is going on. And, uh, and one, of, one of the older adults in our church comes up to me and says with a little twinkle in his eye, you know, if you actually want her to learn, at some point you're going to have to let her fall. And I knew perfectly well that he was not just talking about her walking around the park in that moment. He's talking about life. I also knew perfectly well that he was absolutely right, but I had so many protests in my head for why now was not the time for that and why I needed to hover there the way that I did. And I, I remember praying that day too, uh, not just about her walking, but about life and saying, God, you're really going to have to help me with this. So I think this part of parenting is not going to come natural to me. Friends, what does it mean? Think about this. What does it mean that you and I have a God who loves us enough that he will in appropriate ways let us fall? That he will let us grow forward? And we talked about this a, a couple of weeks ago just to reference you back to uh, God as the wonderful counselor that God has an immense plan for your life and for mine. That we are unceasing beings with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. That we were made not just to be passive participants on this planet, but active parts of the mission of God in this place. Making the world more and more into the place that God envisions it to be. We are not just passengers on that ride. We are active participants. And in order for that to happen, we need to experience a certain degree of growth. Friends, it is a gift and an expression of God's love for you that God wants you to be able to walk. He has plans for you. 
and to live into those, you need to be strong enough to live into them. God needs you to be able to walk. God is shaping character in you. His ultimate goal is not just that you would get to heaven when you die, but that heaven would get into you. And that by the time you arrive there, you would be significantly looking like his son, Jesus. A character development in us, well, it, it's not going to come if, if we're not able to walk. God loves you enough to teach you to walk. You need that if we're going to develop his character. God wants you to walk, friends. We live in a world that has fallen and life is going to bang you up. So you need to be able to walk. And we have a Father that loves us enough to continue appropriately and gently and lovingly moving us into that. God's love is a stretching love. And we need that, friends. We need it. Fourth one, and this is where God's, uh, the Christ divinity comes into play as well. And it's this, that God's love is a sacrificial love. And Isaiah's picture of the Messiah continues. In Isaiah 53, it reads like this. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And here, Isaiah, 700 years before Christ, he gives us a picture of what the Messiah will endure and why the Messiah will endure this out of his sacrificial love for us. We're told he took up our pain. He bore our suffering. He takes the punishment that we deserve because of our sins and he brings it on himself so that we can experience peace, that we can experience healing, that we can live into what the Bible calls salvation, his invitation to eternal life, to heaven, we're told, in essence, Jesus has already gone through hell for us so that we don't have to. He invites us to something better. Listen to how Jesus describes this dynamic in his own words. This is John chapter 10. It says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Right? The punishment that we deserve becomes his, not because he had to, but because he chooses to. Because this love of the everlasting Father is a sacrificial love. There's a, a scene in Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ that, that just grabs us so well for me, where you have this beaten and bloodied Jesus, and he's, he's lying on his back, he's barely able to move, and then the camera pans over, and next to him is the cross. And he begins to drag himself towards the cross. 
something that no person about to undergo crucifixion would do. But that image, it stayed with me because it so perfectly captures this verse. No one takes Jesus' life from him. He gives it of his own accord. His love is a love that is utterly sacrificial. And this is where it becomes important to us that there is something divine about the Son. Uh, for these Old Testament figures, the language of sacrifice was very familiar. It's part of their annual ritual of atoning for their sins as they would bring a lamb and it would be offered for them. And it was specified that this lamb had to be spotless. It had to be a, a flawless, blameless lamb. And so when the scriptures start talking about this lamb of God who would offer himself for us, it made sense to them too that this had to be a lamb that was spotless, that had no blame. And that's where we become grateful that Jesus was more than just a man. He did not sin in the ways that you and I sin. He was blameless. He was spotless. And therefore, he could be that sacrifice for us. This is a special sort of God. And, and friends, this brings us right to Christmas, doesn't it? The only way there could be a sacrifice that would work for our sins was for God to make that sacrifice himself. And so he came on our behalf, born as a baby into an impoverished family in a tiny village in the middle of nowhere so that he could one day take on himself the sacrifice needed for sinners like you and me. And friends, this morning as we respond in worship, I, I want to ask you, do you know God in this way? Do you know God as a father who is protective, who is tender, a God who is stretching, a God who is sacrificial? I want to invite you this morning as, as we're praying together, as we're singing, as we receive communion, uh, if you find some aspect of that is deficient, in the way that you typically see God, would you just offer that to him in prayer? Ask him to stretch your faith to be able to experience him and live with him as he is in all of those dimensions. And I invite you to this morning, if you are not sure where you stand with God, I want to invite you to entrust yourself to a God like this. This is a God that can be trusted. And, and I, I'd invite you just to ask him to come into your life, to be your savior, to be the one who leads your life, the one who forgives your sins, the one who leads you into eternity. He is trustworthy for this. I invite you to ask him, even this morning as we pray, as we receive communion together. Let's pray and we'll do so. Father, we pray that you would give us more faith, that you would expand our capacity to see you as you are, to accept that your love is as good as you say that it is. And God, I do pray for each of us, wherever we are at with you, that you would be working in our lives the appropriate steps, 
Lord, draw us nearer to you. We pray this morning as we respond in worship, as we come to the table, as we receive prayer. We pray, God, that you would meet us in each of those ways. We give you thanks. We trust you for this. In Christ's name, amen. Well, friend, as, we, uh, as we're responding here, I want to invite, uh, as we come forward for communion, if you'd like to be prayed for this morning, we'd love to do that. And someone from our prayer team will be in the back corner to my right. We'd love to pray with you if you'd like to pray with someone. Uh, and as we receive communion this morning, too, uh, communion is a visual picture of the love of God. We see in the broken bread, we see in the cup, the love of God poured out for us. This picture, this reminder that we can enter in to what Jesus has done on our behalf.